there was a story I read. It was so cool. She fell asleep um, under a, a table of lilies at like a florist and the workers there left her because they thought she was just so saint looking. She was just so <laughs> whole. Like, we'll just let it she's go. part of the display. Yeah, so she's pretty awesome. Welcome back to the Fierce Females of History podcast, stories of women in history that you should know about. I'm Erin. I'm Talissa. And I'm Lucy. Lucy coming to us uh, from a very different headset. Of course, we're all in self-isolation at the moment. Yes, this is a temporary headset. Headset being, you know, the operative word here. Not actually a mic, but it's temporary. But you look like like a Spice Girl. Yeah, Yeah. or when I was a telemarketer. That's what it actually looks like. (laughs) Yeah, so it's fine. It's still professional. Yeah. Just a different yeah. profession. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Talissa, it's your turn this week to tell these very important stories that still must be told, headset mic or not. Um, who have you got for us? Yeah, well, I'm going to take you back to June 24, 1969 in Greenwich Village, New York. Now, I'm not going to tell you who I'm doing yet. I'll let you kind of, I'll take you back there first. Let's go on a little journey together. Mm-hmm. Okay, patrons are filling the Stonewall Inn in New York. Before too long, police raid the bar, arresting employees and confiscating illegal alcohol. Police blame the raid on liquor licensing and say, in secret, they plan to raid the bar again on Friday. So they hope to shut this bar down for good. Friday rolls around, it's a hot, sticky summer night and Stonewall is packed with patrons. As planned, undercover officers enter the bar, they begin arresting staff and patrons and in a split-second decision... Something's thrown toward the police officers. It smashes the mirror behind the bar. And in that moment, the gay rights movement is born. Today, I'm going to be talking about two people behind that split second decision, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. So a bit more context to the story. Stonewall isn't just any bar. It serves as a safe place for heaps of the city's queer folk. So back then, homosexual acts were illegal in the entire U.S., except for the state of Illinois, which I found a bit surprising. Um, Mm. And bars or restaurants could be shut down simply for hiring gay staff or serving gay customers. So the New York State Liquor Authority said that gathering of LGBT people was disorderly and they just used their powers to shut down and arrest everyone there or the employees were arrested or the patrons were arrested. So it was a really, really crazy time. And a time that wasn't that long ago, which is always very scary to think. Yeah, exactly. And the thing when I was researching this is I was wondering, well, how is this operating? How are these bars happening at all? It's crazy because we spend so many of our weekends at gay bars now. We don't even question Yeah. But thinking back to this time, the bars are actually operated by the mafia. So really? the criminal, yeah, they would pay the corrupt police officers to try and get them to look the other way. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it really didn't. And it, things could become violent and and quite awful very quickly because police treated these people, these people in these minorities with such disrespect and such disregard. I find that so surprising because I don't know, this is going off, you know, the Godfather. I actually don't know that much about the mafia, (laughs) but I thought that the mafia were like hella Catholic. And I didn't think that the Catholics really, you know, supported queer folk I thought that it kind of went against it all so I was like yeah I guess I find it surprising but I guess if there's money to be made the mafia will make it well that's exactly right so they saw an opportunity here we have the manpower and we have the money to pay off people but we're also going to take 
not take advantage, but take an opportunity while it's there because people wanted gay people, trans people, all types of queer people wanted a place that they could gather and the mafia literally saw it as a business opportunity. And so that's kind of how that unfolded. So back to the two women, because I did mention two women's names there. So Marsha P. Johnson, she was born August 24, 1945. She self-identified as a drag queen or a transvestite. The term transgender wasn't really used back then and it wasn't how she personally did identify. Maybe in modern times and, and with modern language, that's kind of the word we'd be using, but she did describe herself as a drag queen. Um, okay. Yeah, she lived most of her life as a woman and um, she was of African-American descent. So she was a sex worker and she was homeless in many times of her life and that led her to survival sex work. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term survival sex work. Have you heard it used before? Not really, no. no. So we know that there's sex work and then there's survival sex work. So I found this definition on this website called from Stella, which is actually an organization created and run by sex workers. So I want to be really careful with my language in this story because I do think it's really important. So they say that survival sex work refers to sex workers who due to numerous systematic factors like poverty, homelessness, drug use, mental health, things like that, have extremely restricted options. So they work in quite dangerous and some of the most dangerous circumstances because they are out of options as far as surviving goes, whether that's for accommodation, whether that's for food or for money. Um, these are people who have very limited options. So does that give you guys a bit of a yeah. understanding? Yeah. yeah. So she was born a man or a male. Yep. So um, Martha yeah. was born as a male. Um, she describes becoming a drag queen um, and exploring gender in that way and then describes living her life as a woman from there in on out. As I said, she was a survival sex worker um, and she was arrested more than once. She was arrested quite a few times actually because in 1969 it was illegal to masquerade, using that word in quotation marks, as the opposite sex and sex work was also illegal. So she lived a lot of time on the street and in really quite dire circumstances. Marsha loved bright colours and you guys have to Google her. Um, we'll put some photos up on our Instagram though, but she often wore flowers in her hair, Christmas lights in her hair. Just, Ugh. she was fabulous. She, like many others, was said to be um, a drag performer and then gender non-conforming, and she became like a mother to many other people in that community at the time. A judge once asked her what the P in her name stood for, and she responded, it's Marsha, pay no mind, Johnson. And, <laughs> <laughs> so good. And the judge yes. is so charmed and just like so taken aback by that. She's like, okay, you can go. That's fine. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah. So she was spectacular both in character and in dress and in every aspect of her life, but she did have it really tough as well. Another person I mentioned at the start, Sylvia Rivera. She was born in 1951 in the Bronx, New York, and she was raised by her grandmother after her mother passed away and her father left, and she actually ran away from home at age 11, which I don't know what you guys were doing at 11, but I couldn't even make toast. I, don't know uh, I tried to run away from home and got up the street and then uh, yeah. realised that I was hungry and went home. <laughs> I think so I made it to that the bus was stop. successful. I made it to the bus yeah, stop. That's pretty good. And that's, that's far. Um, the bus, no, like the bus, it's about 30 metres away from, okay. from, where, from my house. <laughs> you don't even need yeah. to cross a road. Like you don't need to cross a road. There's actually no footpath. <laughs> it's just walking along the nature strip to the corner of the street. <laughs> and I got there and I was like, oh. Oh, I'm gonna come back. I think. <laughs> yeah. it's, 
exactly. So it's pretty bloody insane to think of an 11 year old running away and living out of home. And that's what Sylvia did. She began doing survival sex work in the Times Square area at age 11 and befriended a group of, yeah, and befriended a group of queens. Marsha and Sylvia met when Sylvia was 12 and Marsha became like a mother to her. And she was like that for many others, like I said. So they kind of became this group who supported and looked after each other. They were queens, sex workers, trans people, um, street kids that were referred to a lot of the time and, and they looked out for each other. And Sylvia later identified as a drag queen herself. So she was also born as a male, but she refers to her ter- herself in the term she and her. So we're going to do the same throughout this story. Yeah. Um, and she later used the term transgender when talking about herself, when that word kind of came into light a bit more because it mm-hmm. wasn't really used back then. Mm-hmm. Um, Sylvia was said to be strong and she was fearless and she was just so serious about rights and issues. And a lot of people describe them both as fearless. I think they had just been so downtrodden for so long that they had in their minds nothing to lose. They were just fearless about life and about what the right and wrong things to do were. So fast forward six years, Marcia and Marcia and Sylvia are regulars at a bar called the Stonewall Inn. They describe it as a campy little bar. From what we understand now, the windows are painted black so no one could see in, and there was a huge mirror on the wall behind the bar with forward-facing chairs. It was a gay bar. Yeah. It, it started out being just for males, um, and Marcia actually describes herself as one of the first drag queens to go in there dressed as a drag queen. So, I miss Stonewall, I Sydney know, Stonewall. Talking about reading about Stonewall, obviously where it got its name. Um, as soon as as soon as isolation ends, guys. Yeah, Oxford yeah. Street, here we come. We'll be back oh, everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah, but we only really have an Oxford Street because of this story. So it's pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, they would go into this bar. Police harassment of gay bars continued. Crime syndicates saw profit catering to the shun clients, like you know, drag queens, trans people were not welcomed at most gay bars in the city. Um, despite falling under the same rainbow umbrella, there was still a lot of prejudice toward them. So Stonewall was one of the only places which would welcome queens. Um, raids at these bars became a fact of life. Discrimination and arrests were, were also a fact of life. Until the morning of June 28, 1969. So this is that Friday that I was telling you about at the start. Stonewall was raided and this time it was a surprise to the owners, who were the mafia, because they would often get tip-offs if something like this was going to happen. And they weren't. So police are said to have entered the club, undercover police, who were dressed in plain clothes to surprise them even more. They were roughing up patrons. There's a description of them roughing up a lesbian woman and that really angered a lot of people in there. Mm. Um, 13 people, including employees, were arrested. It's said that Marsha and Sylvia started resisting arrest. It was said that cross-dressing patrons, and that's the terms that we used at the time, they were taken into the bathroom by a female officer and they would check their sex by looking at the parts underneath their clothing. Oh and gosh. I'm wow. disgusted reading this out loud. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Could you could you imagine how these people must have felt? You so can't violated. In their shoes, can you? It's just mm. beyond anything. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So this was happening on this night of June 28, 1969. And rather than dispersing, which they normally would have to do, raise their hands, leave, some were arrested, some were taken away, they decided to stay and they decided to fight. 
and angry patrons and neighbours and street kids started hanging around outside and they began to fight back. So they described that something was thrown at a police officer and it is said that that was Marsha or Sylvia who were the ones that threw that first some people say it was a shot glass. Some people say it was a brick. And you know what? It's really, really hard to verify exactly what happened. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. yeah. However, they were there that night. Um, Marsha told reporters later that they arrived after the riots happened. But in an interview I saw with Sylvia, she described being there. So um, they stood and they fought. And bottles and pennies and cobblestones and bricks were thrown at officers and involved a full evolved into a full-blown riot people started to try to stop police from arresting these people it got so violent that apparently there were impromptu firebombs and bottles and things being thrown at them so the police apparently barricaded themselves inside the stonewall so this wow. place that they'd targeted and made people mm. unsafe for so long they Ironic. then yeah That's they it. then took shelter yeah. in it's so scary to think that they were driven to this violence to take a stand. Oh, like, I mean, yeah. It's not that they would have wanted to to escalate to this, but no. it got to the point where they had no choice mm-hmm. to make the noise heard. Exactly. To and, make. and while we talk about this is the birth of the gay rights movement, we should as well say there are some other movements that started a lot earlier. Because this was kind of the wave that really sent the waves that were sent around the world. This is the moment where people stood up and and started to pay attention. But we should Mm. say, you're right, these are people that had been fighting for this for a very long time, but this was the moment in time where it really blew up. Um, And because it was so violent and mm -hmm. shocking, it's the Mm -hmm. shock value and the shock value that will forever be the thing that makes the most impact. Yeah. And And it's it's mm -hmm. scary and sad but unfortunately true. I know. And it just turned to madness this night, like we're describing. These mm. people who had been uncast and downtrodden for so long finally got the strength to to fight back. The rioters ended up dispersing in the early hours of the morning until the next night when supporters gathered again, chanting things like gay power and we shall overcome. Police were said to have beaten protesters and used tear gas to disperse crowds. And then they gathered the next night and then they gathered the next night. And that night actually led to a total of six nights of riots and protests. And people were not backing down. I know that this is obviously nothing new or, you know, insightful, but I just, I, I still, I just struggle to get my head around the fact that I just don't understand the level of violence. Like I know that it happens and I know that people get it, but it's like, why the hell are they tear gassing people just for kissing someone? Like, and I know that sounds so naive and like a five-year-old, you know, idealistic view of the world, but I just don't mm-hmm. actually get it. Like, I don't understand why you think that you can just, sorry, I'll hop off my, my little soapbox, but I just don't, I actually just don't get it. The thing is we don't, and the only reason we don't is because things like this had to happen for us to live yeah. the life that we live today where we think these things are fucking crazy. Like yeah, listening totally. to this now and reading this, you know, over the last couple of days as I've been researching, I've just sat there in shock because it's mm. so foreign to me yeah. that police treat people like that and that this is what happened in history. But at the same time, that comes a level of privilege. We are white, cisgendered, straight people living in Australia. We don't get it. Yeah, totally. I mean, brutality. There is still violence yeah. toward minorities. I mean, look at America right now. I mean, that's the perfect yeah. example of how police brutality is unfolding. But yeah, we sit back, and you're right, Lucy. Like on your soapbox, and have our level of privilege of just like not being able to comprehend it. But yeah, 
Never will. Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely a privileged thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So in the Netflix documentary about Marsha's life, um, which I'll give the name of a little later, Sylvia says her and her drag queen friends were at the front of the rally each night. They didn't care if their heads got beaten in. They didn't care if they were the ones kind of copying the violence. They knew that they were on the right side of history and they knew that um, same-sex attracted people deserved equality and they deserved rights. And so that was, again, the catalyst for a lot of the gay rights movements that have trickled across the world. A year later, so this is 1970, the first gay pride march took place in that same area near where Stonewall is. Marsha and Silvio were huge supporters of the movement and joined thousands of people to walk 15 blocks, which sent ripples across the world and is literally the reason we have Mardi Gras in Australia. Wow. Amazing. So we went to Mardi Gras this year, best yeah. night of the year, in my opinion. Yep. But it has a really, really dark history and a really important history too. So that's yeah. where that started. Definitely. I mean, what we were marching, what, a year, two years ago for the yes vote? Yep. I mean, yeah. that wasn't long ago at all. Exactly. It's just... Yeah. And that's this happened because of these moments that I'm describing. Mm. So Marsha and Sylvia marched every year. They were front and centre when it came to stand their ground on the gay liberation movement. And the pair quickly realised that the gay liberation movement wasn't looking to support all queer people. Trans people and drag queens, as they described themselves, were the ones that didn't fit in in either world. They were shunned by the straight community and they just weren't supported by the gay community at all. Gay activists were interested in the struggles of, they weren't interested, sorry, in the struggles of gender non-conforming people, particularly gender non-conforming people of colour. They, It wasn't an intersectional rights thing. It was just one group of people looking out for their own interests and forgetting their brothers and sisters. Yeah. So Marsha and Sylvia decided to organise their own organisation and it was called STAR, the Street Transvestite Action Revolution. They handed out pamphlets and the pamphlets said that they're tired of running and that they intend to fight for their rights until they get them. Um, Marsha and Sylvia found a rundown house and they did it up and they called it Star House and they pulled their incomes together, which were not much at all, but they spent that money supporting their family, which were like people who had just gotten out of jail or queer kids who had nowhere to go, newcomers on the street scene who just needed a bit of guidance because it'd be a very, very difficult thing to navigate. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just basically wanted all these people to survive and thrive and they were doing everything in their power to make that happen. And help them now. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I love yeah. that. So um, in 1973, the gay rights movement was really starting to hit its strides and the annual march promised to honour those who'd fought at Stonewall just four years before. However, it was obvious that some people weren't welcomed. This just became worse and worse and worse and worse. And as people started paying more attention, trans people and gender non-conforming people were really starting to become excluded from that yeah. group of people. Um, lobbyists are reported to have told Marsha and Sylvia that drag queens or trans people could lead the march after fighting for their gay rights for years. However, when they got there, they were told to go to the back of the line and basically told that they didn't want anything to do with them. Um, Marsha, I'm sorry, Sylvia describes it as they forgot the T in the LGBT. Of course, now we call it the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And it was a real turning point for the pair. Marsha says they didn't care that they were there at the start of the movement and many trans people felt that they were being forgotten and pushed to the side. And Sylvia was promised a chance to speak at this 1973 rally um, but was turned away on the day um, because they didn't want to cause a scene and they didn't want to take away from the point that they were there for gay rights. Um, 
So Sylvia actually says something pretty incredible in a Netflix documentary about Marsha's life. Um, the documentary is called The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, and I would recommend it to anyone who's um, interested in this story or the history of this sort of movement. This is um, Sylvia Rivera speaking at the march in 1973 after she was told she couldn't she basically forced her way onto the stage and made people sit up and pay attention she was kind of greeted onto the stage with some booze and the crowd kind of being very unsure to let her speak and this is what she had to say at that rally you all tell me to go and hide my tail between my legs i will not no longer put up with this shit i have been beaten I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown in jail. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment for gay liberation. And you all treat me this way? What the fuck's wrong with you all? Think about that. Wow. That's That's part of a really powerful speech that she gives. Mm. She's just, you just see it in her eyes, she's broken. And she's so sad and she's so disappointed because she has given so much of her life to this movement. Yeah. Mm. Um, so Please tell me that this has a happy ending for Sylvia and Marsha. So <laughs> get that. to that. Before we do, I just want to say, like, it's so interesting to have this <clears throat> viewpoint on the gay rights movement and how there was turmoil within the move- movement mm-hmm. rather than just the movement versus the rest of the world. Do you know I, what I mean? Yep. I did not know that. In this LGBT family, that there were people who were not paying attention to the most vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. I guess it defeated it- the purpose of the whole movement. Yeah, because equality is inequality unless we all have it. Does uh, that part just blows my mind? People don't get that. Is yeah, that- but I guess there's yeah. it like because obviously we didn't we didn't live through this, and obviously we've lived through different parts of progression mm-hmm. that is still happening. Yeah, but I can only imagine that back in those days it was like people didn't people were still navigating how to execute a movement for gay rights mm-hmm. right so yeah. that that's a factor i'm not giving any excuses no, I, or whatever yeah. but you've got to consider that these people have just witnessed or lived through extreme violence mm-hmm. To the point where they're they're scared, like they're scared to stand up for themselves. They're scared to. So when it comes to the time where people aren't scared anymore, those people who were scared or are still scared are obviously going to still be treading pretty cautiously. Yeah. So it's 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 hard to put yourself in that position in that time, but I can only imagine it was a process. Yeah, I just think it comes down to the. It comes back to the privilege thing, like. I know that we all see intersectionality as being, you know, like when we talk about, I guess, feminism all the time, we say, you know, like feminism has to be, has to include everyone. Like it it can't just be Mm -hmm. feminism for white people. It's got to be feminism for gay people, uh, people, different colors, people with disabilities, but intersectionality is fairly recent. Exactly. You know, phenomenon. We didn't see it like that Mm. back then. Moments after that audio I played you was done. Sylvia went home and Sylvia actually attempted suicide in that moment. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Marsha was the one that found her and took her to hospital mm. and this drove Sylvia to move to the suburbs. So she survived, but she couldn't be in the city anymore. She couldn't be around the movement. She felt 
so betrayed by this group of people. And she says that she felt like she wasted her time and she couldn't get that time back. She thought she was fighting for everyone, but as it turns out, she was just fighting for this one group and mm. so she just couldn't be a part of it at that time. Um, she moved to the suburbs and started holding drag shows in the suburbs. <sighs> and she says she helped liberate hundreds of people there because um, – wow. They hadn't been exposed to it before. Yeah. So you might have been seeing these things, but yeah. How how did that go though, you know, going into these nuclear neighbourhoods with people living, you know, those nuclear relationships, nuclear families, and then coming in with something that they've never really been exposed to? She said she got a lot of looks out in the crowd um, as that was happening, but she loved it. That's she awesome. Exposing these people to these things, but she didn't have the strength to continue the battle for gay liberation because of what happened. So can't yeah. blame her for that. Mm. Um, but as the trans rights movement began gaining momentum in the 1990s, Sylvia was there again, front and center. She heard about it. She came back to the city. She moved back to the city, fighting tirelessly for her people's rights, for her family's rights. She revived Star House and began organizing rallies and action and spoke all over the world. There's footage from her speaking in so many different countries, um, yeah. calling out any movements that left people behind, whether they were people of color or poor or people of, um, yeah. you know, different genders or different gender expressions. She started pointing the finger and saying, that is not equality. That's not what we're here for. And that's mm. not what we're about. That's so cool. Yeah, so Marsha remained in the city that whole time. Um, She lived on and off the streets, as I described before. She survived mental health issues and she contracted HIV. Um, She was also shot at and survived. Yeah. I know. The story goes that it was a taxi driver who who refused to pay for sex. Um, He shot her in the back, apparently, and um, she survived a bullet to the spine. That's wow. what I said. I'm not sure if that's exactly right, but yeah, she was shot and there was a bullet um, in her. Um, when the AIDS crisis hit in the 80s, she was disgusted at how the government was treating gay people and ignored the mounting gay death toll. Um, as I said, she did have HIV. Um, so she joined ACT UP to help fight for rights for all in the face of the AIDS crisis. So she was really, really outspoken there. Um and she remained an activist until July 1992 where her body was found floating in the Hudson River. Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. So her friends and family were obviously shocked and they were devastated and her community was just turned upside down. However, the police quickly closed the case, ruling it a suicide. Um, her family and friends refused to believe that. Despite her struggles with mental illness throughout her years, they didn't believe that she was in the headspace to do something like that at the time and they refused to believe that she had taken her own life. So there's a huge movement that believe there's more to this story and the Netflix documentary goes into detail investigating what people think happened to Marsha P. Johnson and, again, that's called The The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. It's on Netflix. It's a breathtaking watch. Just Mm, others Yeah. Definitely going to go and watch it now. Yeah. So they want to know, was it a murder? There were allegations that she was being harassed. There are allegations that the mafia were involved somehow. There's lots of different theories and I'm not going to speculate because I don't know, but there's a huge group of people that believe that it was a hate crime, which is not far-fetched. So I found research, and I'm sure you guys have heard this as well, that black transgender and gender non-conforming people face some of the highest levels of discrimination of all transgender people. Um, They're described as the most vulnerable group in America and 
the murder of trans people of colour is described by most people as an epidemic. Um, From January to November last year, so just in those few months, less than a year, 22 transgender people and gender non-conforming people were killed in America. All but one of that number were black. And Marsha being African-American or black, that would fit right into that description of them being Mm. the most vulnerable. Um, The Human Rights Campaign says, while details of the case differ, this comes to toxic intersectional racism, sexism, transphobia, and lots of other issues that come up. They find it more difficult to find employment and housing and necessities to survive. We all should be educating ourselves on the issues that these people, these vulnerable communities face, because it's not just in America, it's in Australia as well. And we should be really educated on these things. So I have got a couple of different links in the episode description, so you can try and get a bit more educated on it. But we're not the source. The voices should be given to the people of that community and we should be putting yep. the microphone to them. So totally. I'll keep yep. stuff down the bottom because that's our job to amplify other people's voices. Totally. Um, in 2012, the New York Police Department reopened the investigation into Marsha's death and now declared it as undetermined. She did drown. That was her, her – she died by drowning, but they're not sure on how she got to that point. So they actually did a massive backflip in 2012. Sylvia died of cancer in 2002, but it said she was still fighting the good fight from her hospital bed right up until the end. She fought for trans rights right up until that fateful day in 2002 where she passed of cancer. Wow. Um, yeah. So these – women were the mothers of a revolution and they started change that is still still being processed around the world today there's still so many countries in which don't have marriage equality or don't have trans rights australia doesn't have the best history when it comes to trans rights so we've got a long way to go but we can really put a lot of that down to people like marsha p johnson and sylvia rivera who put their own lives at risk to try and better their community and communities around the world. So I don't know, but I just want to say thank you to them because there are so many of my friends who wouldn't be able to live the lives that they have today if it wasn't for their work. So, yeah, yeah. I think we should all take a second and we love Mardi Gras and we love Oxford Street and we love all the, the glitzy fun that we have there, but we have to take a second sometimes to remember how that happened and how we've gotten to where we are today and pay tribute to the people who put their lives on the line for that time. Yeah, totally. To make change. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Fierce Females of History. As always, you can find us on the social medias, Instagram, Fierce Females Podcast, or Facebook, Fierce Females of History. You can also email us if you feel so inclined, you want to get in touch, you want to suggest someone maybe. It's fiercefemalesofhistory at gmail.com. Or if you're feeling a little bit creative, you can send us a 24-pack of unused, unused toilet paper with a little note attached. Well, thank you for the toilet paper and we will read the note. 